Well, it's really good to see you here this morning uh, in uh, week three of our sermon series titled Lenses. And if you haven't heard the uh, last two weeks, the first two sermons in this series by Pastor Steve and Pastor Brian, I just want to encourage you to get online and listen to those two uh, sermons because it's very important uh, information. And uh, this morning in week three of the series, I'm going to be talking about specifically the discussion on pantheism. And you've probably noticed that these sermons deviate a little bit from our, our normal style. As the last couple weeks and this week, it's more informational, not necessarily inspirational. I mean, we try to typically teach from Scripture and, and give you encouragement and inspiration from God's Word. But this month, we're doing more of an informational teaching about worldviews. And as we've been studying worldviews, in your notes, in your worship folder, is what we've said to define what a worldview is. Right there at the top, it says... A worldview is a set of presuppositions which we hold consciously or subconsciously about the makeup of the world. And you know, as I've been thinking about it, as I've been thinking about our discussion on worldviews, I think there's two very good reasons for us to take time to explore worldviews in more of an informational way. First, for us, and then for those around us. And I think for us, you know, we're trying to live gospel-centered lives. And so it's important that we understand our own worldview, our own lenses through which we view the world. Because we live in a world filled with multiple ideas and opinions and concepts, don't we? It's kind of like uh, a walleye swimming in Lake Erie. You know, he doesn't know he's in water. He's just swimming around doing his little fish stuff. He's just being a fish, going to school. <laughs> he's just believing fish stuff, living his little fish life, doing fish things. And he doesn't realize that there are toxins in that water that are soaking in to his body and poisoning him. He doesn't realize that. Well, in the same way, we swim around in a world system that is directly opposed to Jesus Christ. And, and every day, ideas and concepts and thoughts soak into our mind and heart that can dilute our love for Jesus, poison our belief in Jesus Christ. And so it's very important for us to constantly cleanse out those worldview concepts that we're believing through the truth of God's Word. We need to hold up our worldviews. We need to hold up the lenses through which we're viewing the world against the truth of Scripture so that we can make sure that our worldview lines up with Scripture. And hopefully this sermon series is helping you do just that. And I think the second important reason we're doing this more informational style type of series is for those around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors. Because as we better understand the lenses through which they're viewing their world, I think we can better point them to Jesus Christ. So worldview discussions like this are very important as it strengthens our mission. I mean, if you remember back in August, Pastor Steve 
gave a sermon series talking about the fact that um, at New Life Church, we want to live with the gospel at the center of everything we do. And it's that gospel message that gives us our true identity, right? It's that gospel message that we're trying to live out in loving community. And also, it's that gospel message that motivates a powerful mission. The mission of spreading the good news that Jesus, through his cross and through the empty tomb, provides a way of forgiveness and transformation for us through his power and his work for his glory and our joy. To all who repent and believe, the gospel is available. So wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whenever we're there, our mission is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Because people need Jesus. All around us, people need Jesus. But so often they look through lenses that block their view to Him. Their worldview hinders their ability to know Jesus Christ. So we're talking about pantheism today. But before I go any further, I think we should thank Pastor Yoda for his inspiring message of the gospel. Yoda gave us his gospel message this morning, didn't he? What is Yoda's gospel message, his good news of salvation? Well, his worldview is that you can manipulate some impersonal energy force, some force field, and use it for your benefit. In his faith system, you can plug into that energy just in the same way that you plug in a toaster. And you can use it for good or evil. Being able to control the future by manipulating this God force is the underlying desire in a pantheistic perspective. And Yoda practices one form of pantheism. So when we're talking about the force, I thought I'd also uh, share with you another video to just give you a little bit of extra help in understanding how to use the force. So turn your attention to the side screens for just a minute. you just love to see his little face under that mask right that moment? Well, little Darth there was attempting to control his universe by manipulating that force field. And Yoda would suggest to you that with the force, you can control your circumstances, you can create positive future results in your life, and you can ward off those negative results. That's his good news. 
That's his gospel. And I think this morning we could call that the abracadabra gospel. The desire for power to control my circumstances to manipulate my future. There's another word for that. It's called superstition. The desire to control the future with current circumstances, I'm, things I'm doing today. And believe it or not, superstition is the basis for every religion in the world. Not just Yoda's abracadabra gospel, but all religion is grounded in superstition. The false belief that by doing something today, following some set of rules, adhering to some strict code of self-centered behaviors and actions, I can manipulate the future results in my life. I can appease some God or gain some power to do good things for me. Or I can protect myself from some evil force or ward off some bad luck or bad consequences. That's superstition. And that's the basis for every religion in the, in the world. That's religion. That's man attempting to, through a belief of system of his own making, to rise above his current circumstances to some higher form, some higher behavior, some higher consciousness. And that's the basis of pantheism. So the next few minutes I want to talk through some of the basics of what pantheism is all about. First off, what is pantheism? Well, pantheism comes from two Greek words. First word being pan, second word being, being theos, and it, and it means God, and pan means all. Pantheism, put simply, is the philosophical belief that God is everything, and everything is God. Pantheists view all reality as one, whether the God or universe, creature or creator, stick or stone, all things share the same reality. It's a complex web of thought that spans a wide variety of religions and practices and ideas. It covers a myriad of beliefs and traditions. And in fact, pantheism is the basic belief of numerous groups and religions, Hindus, Buddhists, Christian scientists, the Unity School of Christianity, Scientologists, a wide array of New Age religions, everything from Wiccan to UFO slash alien cults, uh, some environmental activist groups, crystal meditation, all kinds of occult religions. Pantheism is widespread through human culture. In fact, the estimated number of people living with a pantheistic worldview is somewhere around 1.8 billion people. 1.8 billion people answer the universal questions of life from the starting point that God is everything and everything is God. Those big questions, those universal questions, those questions we're all striving to answer. Where does it all come from? Is there any value to life? What's life all about? Who am I? I think somewhere deep inside us there's a desire for significance. We all desire to answer those questions. That desire controls how we live. It controls how we behave. It controls what we believe. We want to know, is life worth it? Where did I come from? Where am I going? All of those questions are in our minds and in our hearts. 
And I think no matter what our worldview is, somehow all of humanity just knows there's a God. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. In verse 20, he says, For his invisible attributes, speaking of God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, remember those words, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What God is saying there is, you can look at what I've made and know I exist. You may not know me by name, but you experience my creation every day, and you know down deep in your heart that I'm real. It's there. God placed that knowing in us. But unfortunately, throughout history, mankind through religious efforts has sought to gain access to that higher power, that connection to God. Man has used religious means to try to find the answers to those universal questions. And so in the pantheist world, how would a pantheist define God? Well, a pantheist believes that God is not just a holy, separate being outside our universe that transcends, interacts with, engages with his creation. No, God is the universe and everything in it. God is not an intelligent creator who loves and cares for his creation, but he's simply the force that resides within all creation, that divine nature that all creation shares. God is everything, and everything is God. Everything is just part of that divine force, and physical reality is just an illusion. All physical existence is an illusion. Guess what? You're an illusion. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, you're an illusion. <laughs> Sometimes you might want your wife or your husband to be an illusion. but This afternoon when you go home and the kids are just like bouncing off the walls, you can just look at them and say, you're an illusion. Yeah. Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is real. He's not an illusion. God is loving. God is intelligent. He's an intelligent being who created the universe. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the universe. An intelligent God created something else that was not God. The universe is his creation. But a pantheist would say God is everything. Stick or stone, brick or bone, all things share the same divine reality. And pantheism makes no real distinction between good and evil. The concepts of good and evil, right and wrong, really don't exist because all apparent evil in the world is only the result of the ignorance of men who have no clear understanding of the divine truth. Suffering, pain, poverty, and death are but illusions that will be overcome as man realizes his divinity. Now, pantheism is complex because it is foundational to a variety of different religions, and it follows several different paths 
many different practices. It's circular in its logic because if everything is God, then God is everything. And if reality is an illusion, we need to perform mental gymnastics to try to define away the, the physical reality that we experience. I mean, if I believe that gravity is an illusion and I stand on the top of this building and I do a face plant onto the blacktop parking lot, I'm going to quickly find that my illusion of gravity can mess you up. <laughs> but do I really feel the pain? And is the blood really dripping out of my broken nose? Because that's just an illusion. See the circular thinking that you have to, you have to do mental gymnastics to describe and define all that away. The Bible says God is real. He's personal. He's created a physical universe. He's created us, and we're accountable to him. So I want to take the next few minutes and just look at how pantheistic belief works out in two very popular religions, Hinduism and Buddhism. Hinduism is the world's oldest surviving organized religion. It's a complex family of various practices with lots of volumes of scripture. But Hinduism has no single creed, no final truth. There's not one thing you can point to and say, that's it. There's nothing that you can say, this is what it means. And in fact, there's nothing to say, this is how I should live as a result of it. In the Hindu world, that's okay, because in one sense, anything anyone believes about anything is acceptable, because human consciousness is constantly evolving, and as our consciousness evolves, so does our standard of truth. It's kind of like trying to catch smoke in a Coke bottle. You're never going to get it done. And Hinduism is a pagan religion where the forces of nature and human heroes are personified as gods. It's a complex belief system based on the study of ancient texts and various forms of yoga and meditation. So how would a Hindu describe God? Well, in, in the Hindu world, they say that God or Brahman is the one impersonable but an unknowable spiritual reality. Often Brahman is personalized by three distinct entities, so in that sense there's kind of three gods. But since all is God and everything is divine and everything is God, then Hindus worship a variety of other gods. Every family, every city, every individual might have their own special deities that they worship. And Hindus worship some 350 million gods. So when you combine this with a strong belief in astrology and evil spirits and curses, Hinduism becomes a dark, religious, spiritual bondage of superstition and fear. Now how would a Hindu find salvation? Well, he strives to become one with that impersonal God consciousness, which is a very difficult task because in his mind man is subject to the laws of karma and dharma, and it's only the only way to oneness with that consciousness is to work off all of your bad karma through endless numbers of, re of reincarnations. And karma, let's describe that as, I'll just call it sin, against that dharma, I mean Brahman spirit 
that you have lived out in previous lifetimes. And dharma is the laws or the social rules that you're trying to live in this current lifetime. Putting simply, karma is the things that happen to you. Dharma are those things you do to affect your future life. Well, I've been to India twice. And I can tell you that Hinduism leads to a hopeless, fearful, worthless existence because this life is meaningless. This life means nothing because this current life is just one small step in a long journey of endless lifetimes of never knowing when or how to get off that reincarnation treadmill to become one with Brahman. Now, if you think that sounds confusing, Buddhism is pretty much the same way because it's basically an offshoot of Hinduism. Buddhism is the belief system of those who follow the Buddha, the enlightened one, a title given to its founder. Buddhism is an impersonal religion of self-perfection with no hope of getting it right. And the essential elements of Buddhism are summarized in the Four Noble Truths, the Noble Eightfold Path, and several additional doctrines. Buddhists believe that nothing in life is permanent. Individuals don't truly exist. All is determined by the impersonal law of karma. And also reincarnation is an endless cycle of continuous suffering. The goal of life is to break out of this cycle by extinguishing the flame of craving to enter that permanent state of pure non-existence. Basically, Buddhism says you don't exist And your life is just a struggling, grueling fight of discipline to control your lust. And the best you can hope for is some unknown number of reincarnated, worthless lives to become one with that non-existent, pure consciousness. Now, you're probably sitting there right now going, huh? What in the world did he just say? Are you saying, Claude, that 1.8 billion people in this world believe that life is pretty much worthless and they give their lives to the pursuit of some unknowable, unattainable thought for which there's no rational conclusion or purpose? Well, yes, sadly enough, that is what I'm saying. And the sad truth is you meet people every day in your world that place their faith and their trust and their eternal existence in this worthless spaghetti-like philosophy. And their lives are a hopeless struggle with no answers to those universal questions of life. The final hope and result of a pantheistic worldview is death because there's no way to attain perfection in this life and no way of knowing how to achieve perfection in the next. That's why I am so glad for the words of John in John chapter 20 when he writes. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. Amen. Jesus was praying in the upper room before he was going to the cross. And he prayed with his disciples and and he said, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We can know the truth. Man can know God and in that knowing there is life. Aren't you glad you know Jesus this morning? Doesn't this make the gospel sound just a little bit sweeter to you right now? Yeah, a lot. In one sense, pantheism actually confirms the gospel. Because a pantheist will say in this life, no matter what effort you you perform, you can't achieve that nirvana, that God consciousness in this life. It takes another life and another life. And really, that's what the gospel says, isn't it? God said... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, he gives us the free gift of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. God says that we can't get to him because he is holy and we're not. And there's not enough money you can pay to buy a relationship with God. There's not enough good works you can do to earn a relationship with God. There's not enough religion you could practice to qualify for a relationship with God. Pantheism and that statement in the gospel agree. On my own effort, I cannot get to God. Thank God for his gospel. Thank God for the good news that Jesus came to us and solved that dilemma. Pantheism leads to a life and thought of death. 1.8 billion pantheists today are attempting to work out, work off, and eliminate the bad karma in their life. But all it brings is death. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus gives us life. So where did this idea of pantheism get started? Where Where did it begin? I think the seeds of pantheism were sown right there in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 very quickly. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Did you hear what the devil serpent just said? He didn't question the existence of God, did he? He didn't question some existence of a higher power or a higher consciousness or or God. He didn't say, Eve, go ahead and eat the fruit because you know God doesn't really exist. No, he didn't say that because he couldn't have gotten away with that. Because Adam and Eve, they hung out with God. Eve knew God. The serpent simply redefined God. He placed doubt in Eve's mind about God's true nature. 
He didn't say God doesn't exist, but what he did say is, can you really trust God that he, he told you not to eat the fruit? Can you trust that he's telling you the truth about the consequences if you do? I mean, Eve, can you really trust God's intentions towards you? I mean, come on, girl. You and I both know you're just like God. God is just like you. He just doesn't want you to have that special knowledge that he has. He just happens to have some special knowledge, some special consciousness about good and evil. And he doesn't want to let you in on it. You're not going to die if you eat that fruit. You're just going to obtain a higher understanding, a higher level of enlightenment. In fact, you've got that divine nature of God in you. And if you eat that fruit, that nature is just going to be released. And you'll be connected to nirvana. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Really spiritual. Pantheism is a very spiritual belief system because there is a strong belief in the higher power or or consciousness. But in that spirituality is a complete redefinition of God. God is like us. God is divine. And so we're divine. So all the universe and everything in it is divine. The seeds of pantheism were planted right there in Eve's heart. And through the centuries, that redefinition of God has evolved into a confusing, complex web of spirituality that locks humanity in a prison of hopeless, worthless death. Eastern mystical religions, crystals, astrology, psychic phenomenon, transcendental meditation, all those things may feel very spiritual. But they're a lie that leads to death. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14, God says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. And this redefining God might seem right. God's just like me. But it leads to death. The redefinition is that God is the divine spark of deity that is in us. And we just need to connect with it. God's not really that unique. He's not really that different than we are because we're all little gods. We all have a piece of the divine nature within us. That's the basis of pantheism. And that's that serpent's lie right there in the garden. And I love how God responds to this. In Isaiah 42, God says, I am the Lord and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. He is God. Amen? God doesn't share his person with anyone. We're human. We're not divine. Okay? We don't possess divine attributes. When we accept his gospel and the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms us from the inside out by his spirit, he takes up residence in us. He is divine. We are not. It's God in us. We have no divine power in and of ourselves. We don't share in that divine nature simply because we're human. Those are serpent words. Eat the fruit and you'll be God. God says in Psalm 50, These things you have done and I've been silent. You thought I was one like yourself. I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. God says that hopeless life that you're struggling 
is because you thought I was like you. But listen to me when I say I'm God and you're not. And no matter how we attempt to redefine God, no matter what religious system we develop to get us through that cold and lonely night, the words God said to Job ring in our ears when he said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? If you're so divine, answer that question. Tell me, where were you? Well, pantheism is a man-centered philosophy based on man's desire to control his own destiny, to manipulate the force, to connect with a higher consciousness to be God. So how do we deal with that? So what do we do? Well, remember when I started, I said that the reason we're going through this sermon series and, and talking about this information in the way that we are is for two primary reasons. One is for our own worldview, and one is to help us reach others with the gospel. So let me just quickly talk about those two um, ideas. First, our mission to spread the gospel. You know, as I've described this pantheistic worldview and the religions that swirl around inside there, I hope you get a sense of just how hopeless, confusing, unfulfilling it really is. People all around us hunger for the truth. And pantheists especially are very spiritual people searching for God because down deep in their heart, they know He exists. But they've bought into that lie from the garden. God's placed that knowing in them about Himself, but they have redefined God because they've believed the lie. And those false beliefs lead to false conclusions. So as you talk to a pantheist, it's very important to point out the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the physical image of God. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And that we must worship Jesus Christ exclusive of all those other deities. Jesus is God. Those things are not. And Peter spoke of Jesus in Acts chapter 4. He said, there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given whereby men might be saved. It's only through the gospel of Jesus that anyone, but especially a pantheist, can find the connection to God that he, in his heart he so desires. And pantheism is about behavior modification, not heart transformation. Through Jesus Christ, he transforms us from the inside out. Have you been transformed from the inside out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Well, your own personal testimony of how the love and grace and mercy of Jesus has changed you is going to go a long way to help that pantheist escape the hopeless circle of bondage that he is trapped in. Don't be afraid to confront with the love of Jesus. And so speaking about our own worldview, I really liked what Pastor Brian said last week about naturalism. He said so often we can be theoretical theists but practical naturalists. And I think the same applies this week in that we can so often be theoretical theists believing in God, believing the truth about God, believing the gospel, but we can be practical pantheists. So I'd encourage you this week to think about how your behavior, how your life, while you believe in God and you're a follower of Jesus, how your life sometimes reflects a pantheistic view. Ask yourself this week, 
Does my daily walk really clearly say I believe in Jesus or I believe in other things too? As I've been talking about pantheism, I think it's easy for us to think in terms of those people over there. Those people in that far country that eat that strange food and wear those strange clothes and drive on the wrong side of the road. It's those people. How can those people believe that stuff? But sometimes those people is us people. Sometimes that's us. You know? As practical pantheists, do you sometimes redefine God in your thinking and in your living? Do you worship things that can become gods in your life? Do you live in religious superstition trying to control your own future? We have those little things we do to try to make sure everything works out. You know, I say my prayer in the morning before I go to work so that I don't get a flat tire on the way. And I'm driving and I realize I forgot to pray. Oh no, I get kind of nervous. Maybe I'm going to get a flat tire or something bad's going to happen today. Don't tell me you've never done that. You know, we think about it in those terms. That somehow God is very transactional with us. That I have to do so many things so that he'll do so many things. Well, that's superstition. That's religion. That's pantheistic thinking. I'd encourage you this week to search your heart for the answers to these questions in light of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Very quickly, these two verses, we all know them. Romans, Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We like that verse. The next verse says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We think about that first verse, all things work together for good, in terms of when anything happens in my life, well, I love Jesus, so it's all going to work out for good. And we encourage each other. It's going to work out for good. Don't worry about it. God's going to work it out. But sometimes our definition of what good is and what God's definition of what good is in my life are two totally different definitions. Because of that second verse, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God's desire is that you love and trust him more than you love and trust anything else. And that the love of Jesus Christ flows through you as naturally as it possibly can. He wants you to live like Jesus. And so I might be thinking, well, good for me is to get that promotion at work. And God might be thinking, good for me is to lose my job. And that's hard to think about. But God can use pleasure and pain in my life to conform me to the image of Jesus, which is truly good for me. It's easy for us to redefine God and to think that God is like me. God just thinks about things like I do. He wants the same things I do. He thinks the same way I do. He likes for things to work out the same way I like for them to work out. So I pray God work it out because he's going to work it out. That's me redefining God. And then when he doesn't meet my demand, I get upset. And I question, God, why did you do this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Well, the problem isn't God. The problem is I've redefined who God is. Just as a pantheist redefines the fact that God isn't a human uh, an entity 
out there that has created human beings and has created a universe. No, a pantheist says the universe is God. He redefines God in that way. Well, we often redefine God by thinking that God is just like me. He's just like us. He's just a bigger us with a little bit more power. As a practical pantheist, do we worship ourselves or our jobs or our families or our kids or our reputations or our stuff in the same way a Hindu might worship one of his little deities? We might not bow down and offer prayers and incense and sacrifice, but we often worship them the same way because we put our faith in those things other than our faith in Jesus. Do I put my faith in my bank account? rather than my provider, Jesus? Do I put my faith in my career rather than in my God? Do I spend more time with my hobby and I really don't spend any time with Jesus? See, it's easy for us to become practical pantheists by having our own variety of little gods we worship. So let me encourage you this week just pray and, and, and ask God to reveal to those, those things in your life where you're living as a practical pantheist. I mean, remember Yoda with his green little gospel of good news and little Darth. They were attempting to control the force so as to control their future. A basic concept in pantheism. But a pantheism worldview delivers no salvation, just endless lives, lifetimes of trying. And a pantheistic worldview delivers no hope, just the empty foreboding of death. A pantheistic worldview delivers no control of the future, just a fear of it. If you've known me any length of time, you'll know one of the things I always say is do what I know to do and let God take care of the results. God is in control and He's the God of my future. Amen? Be encouraged by the words of Paul. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. I can't use the force to make that happen. Yoda may have the force, but you and I, we have Jesus, the creator of the force. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you this day. We thank you for your plan, your plan that you foreordained before the foundation of the world to provide a way that we could know you personally, that we could love you, we could be transformed by your spirit, and we can know that we have hope in a sure future with you. Lord, I pray for us as we leave this place today, that as we engage with those people in our lives, our family, our friends, our co-workers who have pantheistic thinking in their, in their mind. They may not fully hold all of the views, but they have those thoughts and those leanings. Help us, Lord, to tell them about you. Help us to be willing to share your uniqueness and your love and your power with them. And Lord, this week, help us to lay, to lay our worldview against your scripture, against the truth of your word, and make sure that we're not holding on to any of those pantheism beliefs. Jesus, we just thank you for all that you are. Thank you for hearing us and answering our prayers. May you receive all the glory and honor and praise, and it's in your name 
we pray. Amen.